Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number 9. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number 9. I want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Big thanks to Arno at ALM, almk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Hit Arno up at A-R-N-O at almsuit.com. First-time visitors to a site use discount code WDRADIO to receive 10% off your new tug or suit. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. We are back again, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I'm Ted Summers, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Torchlight Canine, and Working Dog Dry Goods. And with me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Uh, nothing, just uh, I'm actually sitting in my uniform. I had to testify in court today, so uh, I had to dust this thing off and... Uh, <laughs> Go in and you go. It's been a while. I don't t- I don't go to court very often anymore. And I go in and everybody that's been around a while looks at me like, "Do you still work here?" I'm like, "Yes, I still work here." <laughs> I don't. I don't. And they make comments on my gray hair and you know and all that stuff. And the judge did a double take when I came in because I hadn't seen that guy in probably ten years. <laughs> You still work here? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it's how are the puppies? Uh, the puppies are good. They're um, uh, Allie, you know, the lady that's whelping them for me. She she posted a video today of them. Like they're eating, you know, they're eating puppy food uh, and still drinking from Willow. Uh, and they're they're getting teeth and they're just just hammering away at her. And I can see she stands up and dr- shakes them off and drops them off. You know, but they're getting they're getting big. They're all in the three pounds part. Uh, there's one black male that's a four, like four pounds, 13 ounces. And then there's the little runt is like in her twos. So, you know, there's 11 of them. They all survived. And um, I talked to Mike Suttle and he gave me some things to start because, again, I'm not a puppy guy. Some things to start looking at, um, you know, as far as weeding out who would probably be a pet more than a working dog even at a young age and so it's uh it's coming along with whatever awesome we uh i delivered the bed bug dogs uh last week and or wait yeah last week and spent three very hot days down in texas uh with eric and stephanie and then uh came back we picked up 
three new imports for some contracts we've got an explosive a dual purpose explosive and the two dual purpose narcotics contracts and two uh two 18 month old and i think a 12 or 14 month old or something dog so i've got some time on him but fuck one of them we i was just kind of messing around and he bit the shit out of me yesterday and i was like oh mm. man that's a man bite i told scott i was like dude <laughs> i was like that was a little surprising for a dog that age holy crap so yeah they're gonna be fun um it's good because my kennel tech you know, I always tell her, um, which we're going to talk about this here in a second, I'm sure. But I'm like, when people are like, oh, I got a dog to be a great police dog. I'm like, oh, yeah, why? And then it's kind of hard to explain to her. So we get these dogs out. And I mean, the first time they see the ball popper or they see the Dutch box, they just fire up. And, you know, I mean, we had one of them sitting in, I don't know, a couple of minutes. <laughs> so she kind of looked at me. I was like, remember how long it took us with the other dog that we had here that sucked? And she's like, I'm like, this is why we import dogs. So uh, other than that, summer's finally here. Uh, we kind of skipped spring. It was nice for three days, and now it's like 91 degrees, and uh, the heat index is like 94 or something. It's fucking hot. So not really looking forward to uh, putting the bite suit on. But shit, it, it is what it is. Um, with us... Tonight, or this afternoon, I guess, is uh, Bill Heiser, Southern Coast Canine, down in New Smyrna, Florida. Uh, Bill, how are you? I'm good. Good, guys. Real right. good. Great. Let's uh, start a little bit with um, your resume, how you got into canine. Um, we'll kind of go from there and talk about, you know, expanding some of the stuff that went happen, and then we'll do some of the dog selection stuff that we had from the last episode. So head out. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so I started out with uh, Daytona Beach Police Department in 1988 and was able to get on the canine unit a couple of years later. So I spent uh, five years with the canine unit at Daytona PD and then moved over to the Volusia County Sheriff's Office. Um, the reason being is uh, the Sheriff's Office down here, like uh, some other people, is that we have all the toys. You know, we have 1,400 square miles of, of patrol that we do. and. We have a bigger unit, you know, bigger drug unit, bigger uh, canine unit, bigger motor. So it was just a, it was just a, for me, it was a better move over. So I ended up doing a couple of years on the road, paid my dues, and was able to get back in the canine unit with the Volusia County Sheriff's Office, uh, working a drug dog in the, in the, um, in the canine unit. So, uh, 2005, I'm getting ready to retire. I stayed in the canine unit, had 16 years in the, in the unit itself. And then retired in 2005. At that time, I had started a business prior to while I was while I was uh, working the road. I was doing the um, dogs for the smaller departments. I was training up dogs and and uh, actually selling them to to make up for the the seven dollars and seventy cents an hour we were making back in those days. I know you guys are making like ten, eleven bucks an hour now, but back then we were only making like seven. seven. <laughs> so right, big money. Now. It, it kind of helped out with that. And, and it grew. You know, I started actually doing this when I was with Daytona. So I, I started this in 1988 is when I started training dogs for other departments, and it grew and grew and grew. And finally, in 2005, at the end of the year, I retired. Uh, and obviously, 9-11 came along uh, prior to that, and we were getting busier and busier and busier here. So I started out with two kennels, and now we're at a peak of, of 80 kennels. So uh, staff of 11. And at that time, I was paying, in 2005, I was paying... Well, the guys that were working for me training and you know almost double what I was making as, as uh, with the police department. So I, I ended up retiring. I had my 20 years, so I ended up retiring and, and kicking this in full time, and then growing to where where we're at now. And about 240, 260 dogs a year is what we, we uh, produce out of here. 
Wow. So what is, um, I, I know we, I asked you this before and I was always intrigued by it. Uh, for those of folks who grew up in the 90s, the late 90s that listened to us or, or later, talk about the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s, spring break in Daytona. The one, the folks that missed the MTV era. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the days, you know, everybody's always, you know, when you talk to somebody who's a little bit older, when they, oh, back in the day, back in the day. Yeah, we had, we had spring break down here and that's, we had college students from obviously all over the country here and they would come in a, in a two month period. And then they brought in MTV, which, which brought some crazy stuff, you know, the, banana eating contests and, and the wet t-shirt contests and then guys start jumping off of balconies and then they start pushing uh, vending machines off the third and fourth floor into the pool deck. It started a little crazy. So eventually they kind of said, Hey, enough's enough. We're shutting this down. And so it, it became a little, a little less than that. They got rid of MTV, which at the time MTV was here for a couple of years and they were bringing concerts in and, and, and you know, the, the top name people that they were bringing in here. So we kind of got, we kind of got packed here. The beaches were packed. Uh, it was kind of crazy there for a couple months. So when I first came down, I came down during that time. Uh, I was I was visiting I was visiting some people down here. Actually, my dad when I came down here, and I I start thinking, wow, this is the promised land. Look at all these women here. Look at all the. It was kind of crazy here, and uh, but I didn't realize two months later it would be a desolate town. So, but yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, kind of crazy back in the day. So my other question is, so you started with two and you're in the kennels in the eighties, you know, uh, 200 and some dogs a year, um, for folks that are, are small and want to get larger, what, what would you call a sweet spot? Like eventually you get so big that you can't go backwards. Where, where, where did you feel overhead wise and sales wise and everything? Kennel size was probably the sweet spot. So back then, and I always say back then, because back then you could go to Europe and you could go every other week and get 20 dogs if that's what you needed. Mm-hmm. So if you kept 20 dogs back in those days, that was a good, you know, you had some singles and you had some uh, dual purpose patrol dogs. And, you know, if you sold them, you, you know, really, you never do the mail order bride. You know, a lot of guys try to do the mail bride where they don't go over. They call up and tell the tender, hey, send me 20 dogs. You know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You get 18 that, that, that somebody already looked at and said, no, 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 maybe four or five times, four or five guys, and you're going to get those dogs, and they're going to slip in a couple of good ones. But, you know, 20 to 30 dogs, I would think that that was, you know, pretty good at day. Now, because you have so many other countries over there, you know, when I go over there, you have Israel over there, Egypt's over there, uh, the French army's over there. So the picking is a little slimmer now than it was then. So I would say now, you know, get as many as you can when you can, and so that you keep your trips instead of going, you know, 10 times a year, you go, you know, six times a year. But we, you know, we try to get sometimes anywhere between, we try to get 30 to 40 dogs from people over there at any given time, but it's, it's slim picking. So if you find those that many dogs, you got to take them because they won't be there an hour later. I test the dog now and, and I him haul and say, ah, let me think about it. By the time I think about it and have a cup of coffee or something and say, hey, let me look at that dog one more time. He's telling me, ah, oh, sorry, I sold that dog already on the phone all the time selling dogs. Wow. So Ted and I and others talk about, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm bringing in a couple dogs at a time, Ted, two, three, four here and there. Um, and we always talk about how dealing with the airlines is absolutely miserable. I can't imagine 30 dogs shipping in and the logistical 
nightmare or the problems that can be caused by one or two airline employees just being goofy. Yes. Yeah, we so uh, know guys have tried to ship dogs, and the guy just walks up and goes, nope, 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 all because they thought their ears were too tall. Yeah. Funny uh, you should say that. Funny, <clears throat> funny you should say that because we just went yesterday to an airport, and we had uh, two kennels, and I knew that uh, over here, um, Delta especially, you know, if the dog's ears are touching or maybe could be touching or it looks like maybe down the road it could be touching, they'll refuse it. And so I brought another crate, which was a 700 crate, which was, and that was three inches higher, two inch, two and a half inches higher. And so that wouldn't fit on a plane. So I couldn't, I couldn't ship the dog <laughs> yesterday. Oh, oh God. What a pain in the so ass. You go over there, you spend three hours traveling, getting the paperwork, getting the health certificate, everything, and then because his ears um, you know, are barely touching the top of the kennel, in fact, they'll tell you to take the dog out, put the dog next to the kennel, and kind of see if, if his head, uh, you know, if his ears will touch. I think he never, he's not going to stand up in the kennel. He's going to lay down the whole time. Right. And, and then you go to flight. a different airport or a different shift, and the guy who's in charge goes, ah, he's laying down, it's fine. You know, it's very subjective and it's very frustrating, as you, and you know more than most people. Yes. So it's a, it's a you know, it's it, whatever airport you go to, it's it's, a, it's a different than everyone. Yeah. <laughs> God, we we Scott just went and picked up these three dogs, and it, you know we used to have them flown directly into Tulsa, which that didn't work. I mean, now nah, they stopped that. Then we had them flown to Dallas, which now they're not doing that. So we have to drive to fucking Houston to pick up dogs now. And, Holy smokes! Yeah, dude, that or Kansas City, and. On top of that, we're paying more, right? So I said this in the rant episode, which is airing, which has already aired. Everybody listened to it already. And, you know, I bitch about having to send the money to Euros now, to the Euros now, and I don't really care if they get upset about it. But, you know, nothing would make me happier for these very reasons if we had a very well-developed culture of working dogs so I wouldn't have to buy anything from those people ever again. But, I mean... It is what it is, I guess. I mean, we do what we have to do. I mean, the three that I got are super nice. They're going to be super nice patrol dogs, and, you know, it is what it is, but I would have rather have bought from somebody else. But, you know, our guys are good over there. I mean, we've met them in person. Scott knows them really well. I know them really well. You know, Scott's been dealing with them for almost 20 years, so um, it's it, it's kind of a the cost of doing business. And on top of that, like, the people like United Airlines, whoever flew them in this time, one of them, you know, they got held up some for some reason in Germany and or in Holland or wherever they came from, and then one of the dogs shit in his kennel, and they didn't, they wouldn't let him take it out. They didn't have anywhere for it to clean him up, and Scott was like on the side of the road at a fucking gas station with this dog and like hosing his kennel out, and he's all pissed off. And I mean, it's a, like literally a shit show. So uh, it was. It's just a fucking pain in the ass. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's nothing worse. And when we ship dogs, I mean, we've shipped puppies and stuff before, and it's always just a nightmare. And you'd think, I mean, we sent a fucking rover to Mars that we could figure out how to fly a dog from here to somewhere else. But I don't know. I guess I'm asking too much. I don't know. <laughs> yep. So 2005, 2005, you go all in. Um, had you... Like started building your facilities leading up to that kind of planning ahead, or or you just said I'm retired now. Shit, I got to work. No, no. So back in back in the early '90s, I I started out with uh, two kettles, and then if I sold a dog or two, because what I did was I trained up dogs 
four smaller departments in, in the surrounding area here. And then it grew a little bit and grew a little bit. So that, every time I sold a dog, I extended it, you know, three, four kennels, five kennels, 10 kennels, um, a training building I put up. And so I had the vision that when I retire, you know, so many guys retire from, from the department and they don't make a plan for the end. And at the end, it's, uh, what am I going to do? You know, you can only fish so much. I mean, I tried it for a day. Mm-hmm. It worked for a couple of hours and, and I'm an antsy guy, so it, it didn't work for me. But, but so I always made sure that I had a plan for the, for the end of my career with the, with the police department or the sheriff's office that I, I possibly would have, but, but didn't realize it was going to grow into where it grew today. I was planning on doing a couple of dogs a year, you know, to subsidize my, my pension, which, you know, you guys really don't get a whole lot, but, but it, you know, it pays mm-hmm. the phone bill or, or electric or something. But so I was trying to subsidize my, my, my pay by doing that and, and start realizing like my goal was to sell 12 dogs a year. If I could just do 12 dogs a year, uh, I, I was thinking, boy, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be in good shape. And, um, so one of my supervisors at the time said, really, you think, uh, you think you're going to be able to sell 12 dogs a year? I said, well, that's my goal. And when I retired, he was at my retirement. And so we had a you know, ceremony when you retire, they usually give you a gun and your badge and your ID and stuff, you know? And so he was there. And at the time that I uh, was retiring, I, he shook his hand and he congratulated, you know, and I reached over and I said, Hey, I'm at one forty a year. Do you believe that? And uh, he looked at one forty. Said, Yeah, hundred and forty dollars a year. So that's what we were doing the past, you know, a couple of years prior to me retiring. And then it just grew and grew and grew and I was able to put full time, you know, full throttle into the business. Holy smokes, a hundred and forty dollars a year. Well, you had employees obviously, but you're you're working yeah. and then doing that. Did you was there any sleep involved? Is this a uh, two-hour sleep for several years kind of thing? <laughs> it was because you know what I was doing was I was uh, you know being a being a you know in law enforcement I had a lot of keys to the different warehouses at night. So in the beginning I didn't have any training buildings here on my property. So I would load some of the dogs up. My employees would load a couple of dogs up, and we would meet at some of the warehouses. And I would literally be out training till twelve one o'clock in the morning. Come home, feed the dogs. Uh, go to bed and, you know, five o'clock in the morning, here we go again. And so I look at it now and I go, wow, I, I can't believe that I did that all these years. Um, because as you know, when, when you have a kennel or you have, and you have, um, you know, all that work involved, it's seven days a week. It's not a t-shirt shop. So it's not like at five o'clock, you lock the door and leave, put the alarm on leave. Uh, you have dogs that you have to tend to. So it's seven days a week, 365 days a year. In fact, to this day, I'll, I'll hire a kennel staff and they'll be surprised at, well, Christmas, we have to work Christmas? Well, yeah, the dogs eat and they go to bathroom on Christmas. Absolutely, we got to be here on Christmas. Yeah. That's a mentality now versus back then. It's the, only, it's the only business where the inventory eats. Yes. A no. lot. You don't, yeah, you don't just put them on a shelf. They continuously cost you money nonstop all the time. So at what point did you decide that uh, it was too much for just you to handle? <laughs> I mean, hundred. it was surely before you got to 140. <laughs> right. Well, we started doing like 20 or 30 dogs. It was it was the point in the beginning I was having a couple of the guys that I worked with in the department. Uh, they would help me after hours, you know, and I would, I would pay them to help me. And then it just started getting where I had to start getting a couple of employees down here. So that when I was working, we were continuing the training. You know, if I was on a night shift or, or um, uh, they would be here in the daytime training some of the dogs, and then, some of, then I would come home at night 
and we would take some of the dogs off site. So we would do half the dogs here in daytime and half the dogs at night at some of the uh, um, places that we have to train. So at this point, now that you have 200 and some uh, dogs a year going out, are you, do you get to still get in the mix? Are you still handling leashes or are you just getting stuck with all the paperwork? No, I'm, I'm a hands-on guy. I, I got to, you know, it's kind of funny that you ask that because, you know, when you start getting, and I'm in ice cream, so you start getting there and they go, oh, do you sit back and do, no, I still actually go on a plane every six weeks and fly over and spend uh, 12, 14 hours on a plane because at the, the, the end of the office, it's your name that's on that dog. So if, you, if your name's on that dog, obviously I go from the get-go. I want to pick that dog so that I know exactly what I have when I come here. And when I come back, it's kind of funny because my kennel staff will say, 28 dogs. The son of a bitch knows every name. He knows all these dogs. Well, yeah, I tested them over and over. So, you know, I know exactly what I have when I come back. So what now do I do the, I asked you this, do I do the bite work and stuff? Yeah. Do I do the bite work and stuff? Nah, it's a young man's game. You know, I got Danny for that. I got Danny. Danny's an awesome guy. You know, luck we had getting him on board. Yeah. Dan Cornair, um, Marine Corps handler, um, doing a little law enforcement. I mean, yeah, he's awesome. We have a couple of them, but Danny's now the, uh, in charge of the training down there. So yeah, he does an awesome job. Oh, that's great. So what do you? What is your thing? I think I asked you this on the last time we talked to you, and I, I can't remember. Is if if it's the end of the day and you have some time and you're like, I want to, I want to go work some dogs. What's your thing that you really? I know some guys like, man, I'll come out here and do some obedience because I love it. Or I love. I mean, let me do some tracking or, or something like that. What's your thing? Detection. Yeah, I, I'm a detection guy because when, when I was with the department, it was always. You know, it's a hide-and-seek game. And so I used to love to roll up to that house. And you have eight guys in the house, and they've searched it for four or five hours, and they're calling you because – and, I, and I'm, I'm going to, with, to a different department. In other words, uh, just say Daytona Beach Police Department. They, they've done a search warrant in the morning. It's five, six hours later. There's eight guys in the house, and they can't find anything. And they roll you up, and they go, hey, is there any way you can get over here and give us a hand? We can't find it. We know it's here. And you're going, yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me get a hold, and I'll make a couple phone calls. I'll head that way. And you go over there, and it's a hide-and-seek game. And, you know, the guy's sitting out front, you know, the girlfriend, they're handcuffed, and they're going, hey, never going to find it. And you walk through that door, and you give that, you know, obviously, you know, we searched, uh, not search, but you look around, make sure there's nothing there to hurt the dog and the ceiling and the air and all that stuff. So you spend five or ten minutes prepping the house, and you go in there with the dog. Now, just remember, there's eight guys sitting outside soaked, and, you know, because the down it's hot. And mm-hmm. you're going in there, and they hear, they hear you screaming, oh, good boy, and, you know, flipping out and, you know, buddy, buddy and rolling and tossing and with the toy and tugging and all that stuff. And you're not there eight minutes and you're coming out going, Hey, it's uh, check here. What a feeling that is, you know, to me. Yeah. Yeah. We just had, uh, yeah. I mean, every time one of my local guys or the guys that I'm close to that I talk to a lot, every time they get a find, they're super, you know, proud. They contact Scott or I and tell us, and I mean, it's like a, you know, I love hearing and seeing that kind of stuff. And, you know, we get uh, calls for, or all the guys get calls for uh, assistance from other agencies that are like, eh, our dog didn't do so well. You want to run yours? And then, you know, we'll, we hear, I, I see and hear a lot of that stuff for sure. <clears throat> so, uh, like fast forwarding a little bit to right around September 11th. Um, what, so after September 11th, um, as far as the industry goes, and we'll talk about dogs a little bit, but uh, what happened 
in the industry after September 11th? So up until September 11th, I'll, I'll go a little bit back. So August 28th, I have a bomb dog that I prepared, and I sold it to a, an organization in Massachusetts. And I sold that dog back then um, for about $6,000. And it was fully trained. It went out the door. When 9-11 came along, prices went from 6000 5500 to 15000 and you couldn't get enough of them. So the phone is literally around the clock because people are calling you from different countries. So they're not realizing that, you know, it's, it's two o'clock in the morning here. You know, right. it's, it's 10 o'clock or eight o'clock at night, their place. And they're calling you at two in the morning, nonstop around the clock. The industry, then you start getting all these other countries that you really didn't see over there. You know, I never saw the French army or Israel or, and I, you know, I used to go over here for years and years, 15 years before uh, that happened. And uh, all of a sudden everybody's there getting dogs. So I saw I saw the decline in the amount of dogs, quality dogs that you could get right after nine eleven. They were depleting. They were depleting it that fast. Yeah. So uh, now, are you using? Because obviously, everybody's still you know bomb dogs, bomb dogs, bomb dogs all over the place. Um, are you now training? You know all the floppy ear breeds. Are you, are you in everything, or are you still sticking with a, a couple? No, I do everything. So, um, you know, floppy ears obviously are a little harder to get nowadays. Uh, but, you know, pointy ear, uh, German Shepherds, Malinois, Golden Retrievers, Labs, you know, whatever the quality that we're looking for, uh, we, we snag up because they, they go out as fast as you get them in. Talk a little bit, too, about um, – because, I mean, you've been around – handlers like lots and lots and lots and lots of handlers um so kind of like pre-9-11 to post-9-11 and to now or back when you got into the canine unit what do you see different in handlers aside from age like i'm sure the young ones are a bunch of idiots but you know like (laughs) like, i mean you know in terms of you know i mean i guess i see it because i feel like i'm lucky because you know the specialties in law enforcement tend to attract um kind of the best of the departments whatever they have to offer so and for the most part canine is no different at least on my end up here you know most of the guys that i get even if they're not super old they're very mature very good decision making capabilities um you know we're trusting them with a lot of potential for use of force and you know they're they're very very good guys and um very good cops um and you know, I think it was you that made a comment at one point, like, you know, back in the day, you had to have a ton of experience. And I see a lot of guys now that have only been cops for three years, and they're getting a dog. Yes. So uh, back back in the day, we'll just say the, we'll just say the 90s, uh, early 90s, um, you know, when there was a position opened up for a canine, you had 30, 40 guys applying for that position. And it was, you know, you're getting the cream of the crop. You were getting a guy that, that didn't have to be supervised, that, you know, his stats were there, a clear head, you know, because you use not use of force, so you have to have that. I see now some of the departments that actually come through here, the guy's got one or two years. He tells me there's three guys or he's the only one put in for it, so he got it. And so I just I just don't see where, you know, where it was back then. It was, it was the um, – and I think it's because you're taking on this big responsibility. You have a dog at your house. It's seven days a week he's there. I just don't know if – the guys have it in their heart like they used to. Now, the ones that do, the ones that are applying or the ones that are getting that position, I mean, they have it in the heart, but it's just, it's not, 
It's not the amount like it was before. You know, one or two or three guys. If you're lucky in a big department, you might have five guys. But back then, it was 30 and 40 guys, and you were fighting tooth and nail to get that position. And the only way you got that position is if somebody either retired or died or got spanked and got taken off the unit. That's the only way you were getting that position. Well, yeah. And now, um, yeah, I, I don't run into a ton of guys anymore that, yeah, I'm on my fourth dog. Um, that that's, uh, seems to have kind of gone by the wayside. We still have, you know, a lot of guys here in my agency um, that are now in it. And I think it's kind of the attitude that you bring to your agency that they want to be in the unit. Um, but uh, my guys here definitely know it's not about a car and, you know, maybe some better hours. And, you know, of course, it's about not working with other human beings. But uh, that, that's always that never changes. So um, I do think it is kind of a um, kind of an attitude, you know, uh, in the unit itself. So we're going to go ahead and take a, a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Bill about Southern Coast Canine and, and the things they do down there. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. Who's <laughs> going to Google that to get the joke. Arno uses top quality materials and handmakes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at almk9equipment.com, that's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at almsuits.com. Com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Tripwire Operations Group. We're first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive, TexPack. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Hey, let's get this finished up here. Southern Coast K9, the letter K, the number 9.com. 
sponsor for the episode. Southern Coast Canine offers canine handler, instructor, and trainers courses with a variety of seminars throughout the year. Visit them at southerncoastcanine.com, letter K, the number nine. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram for up-to-date courses and event schedules. 877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 to register and find out more about these excellent courses. Also, Southern Coast Canines has an immediate opening for a full-time multi-purpose canine trainer position, the MPC trainer position. If you want to join a winning team, contact them at the same number or email your resume to P Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R at southerncoastcanine.com, the letter K, the number nine. All right, we're back with uh, Bill Heiser from Southern Coast Canine. So, Bill, you're down in Florida. You got, uh, you're doing all kinds of stuff. You're not, you, you do all the police stuff, right? You got the dual purpose, you got the single purpose. What are some of the other dog things you're doing down there? Uh, we do the cell phone for the corrections. So even at the Inspector General's office here in Florida, uh, obviously uh, a few years back, we were asked if we could, if we could do cell phones. Because what was happening was uh, guys were being uh, were bringing cell phones in and they were continuing their business and also threatening some of the witnesses with the cell phone. So we ended up uh, training up some dogs with the cell phone, became very successful at it. And so they were getting anywhere from two to 3,000 cell phones. Um, and I, I would say every couple of months they would do a sweep of some of these prisons and end up with a couple thousand uh, cell phones. So uh, we, wow. we were doing that and also – uh, just recently, we were, uh, well, not just recently, the past three years, we were uh, involved with the USDA uh, training dogs for the citrus canker and HLB, which is a disease that's kind of wiping out our orange groves down here. And so they were giving us infected trees, and we were training the dogs to literally go through the groves and, and detect the ones that were infected. And when they were detecting the ones that were infected, it got to the point where they were detecting it before the human could even see that it was infected because on that and sometimes you'll see in a leash you can see stuff but the dogs would tell some the dogs would tell them that the, that the tree's infected and they were kind of you know a little leery about it when that and all of a sudden two three four months later guess what's happening that tree's infected so they got to the point where they start doing a study and the dogs were 99.7 percent accuracy on on the, the testing that the usda was doing no oh, wow so now the dogs yeah now the dogs just on speed they're, they're pulling that tree right out like it's, we don't see anything on there. Ah, the dog says it's there. It's there, and so they're starting to get to the point where they they're realizing that that the dog is one of the best tools that you can possibly have. It's one of the only tools that you can take to the problem. Now, this is a service you offer, like as handlers and everything. Well, no, this is what we did. We had a we had a program. We had a grant with the USDA. Mm. So the USDA was doing a big study, and they were trying to find a way that they could they could do the detection of these of these diseases on the, on the trees rather than sending people through and try to look at each tree. Obviously it was cost. And, and the dogs were, like I say, we're, we're telling them that, that it's infected before the human eye could even see that it was infected sometimes a couple months before. So they would put, they would put a mark on that. Sure enough, two, three, four months later, they, they come back and it's like, Oh, this, this tree's infected. Yeah. The dog said that three months ago. <laughs> Have you ventured into any of the bug dogs? Like, creepy ted does those are gross (laughs) (laughs) yeah we did that a ways back um when we had a big national test company you know came to us and said hey can you do this for us and we did it but you know he'll be able to tell you it's it's very time consuming because it's the smallest bug they want one bug you can't have dead bugs eggs 
So it's very, very time consuming. So for us, we've been so busy with law enforcement that we tried to get that in a little bit for, for this company. But once, once we did a few for them, we're saying that it's, it's a little much. Yeah, Ted, too Ted, much time. Uh, Ted's just got done with two dogs, and he said it was definitely different, right? Oh, God, yeah, because, I mean, we had to proof them off of the dead ones and then proof them off of this poop and then all this other stuff. <laughs> and then, so, but I did a deal, like, because we did two at the same time. So I did um, one on live bugs, and I did the other one on pseudo. Uh, the stuff from out of Bimbe, or from Scent Logics, whoever. And um, Scent Logics, surprisingly enough, is way easier to handle than live bugs. Who knew? So, <clears throat> and I don't have to feed the fucking pseudo. And so the the deal was, you know, once they were imprinted and they were hunting, and you know, I, we kept good records and blah blah blah, whatever. So uh, the dog that was started on pseudo, I mean, went over and immediately showed interest in the live bugs and had zero issue and. He transitioned beautifully, no big deal. Uh, the other dog, the other direction, took a second, um, but she it went back and forth, no problem. Um, and, you know, that made my uh, proofing, because when I, t- I would take these dogs to hotels and other places to start teaching them where to hunt and everything else, and, you know, the hotels were not real keen on me bringing live bed bugs in, which is understandable. So, I mean, I would use the pseudo stuff and the fake ones that are in those little permeable containers, or the dead ones that are in the permeable containers to continue to proof off of. But, God, it was a fucking nightmare dealing with the live ones. So, I mean, in that instance, I mean, I would... I mean, it was way easier to do it that way, for sure. Yeah, but they are gross. Uh, they look like little nasty-ass, like, tea-tick flea <laughs> thing. They're fucking gross. Yeah. So, what, um, you do, uh, you train handlers down there as well? Yes, yes. We have a handler class about every six weeks. So, and we fill them up um, fairly, you know, fairly full every time. So, yeah. And then we also do some of the... The seminars, you know, we have a seminar every year, the uh, Bomb and Drugs of Texas seminar, which we bring in about 125, 130 teams every year. And we do all scenarios off-site, so the storage units, the ball field, traffic stops. Uh, we try to get as much as we can. And then the dogs are certified through an NDBA or NAPWADA um, at that time. So we're getting the guys in. We're getting them tuned up a little bit, give them a couple days where they get some legal from Ted Doss. Andy Wyman's here. Uh, we have about uh, eight or ten other instructors. And then uh, we get them certified at the end of the, of the week. So the last day of the week, uh, they get through a certification, and they're good for another year. Awesome. So next year, uh, we're going to be uh-huh. doing uh, Bravo 3 down there with you guys. Uh, Ryan oh, and the, terrific. Yeah, Ryan and the kids and uh, Eric and I are going to be instructing. But um, we're going to be doing the Bravo 3, I think, partly at your facility, and then we've got the Daytona 500 thing, too, uh, for some of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be, uh, what is that, February? Yeah, I think so, something like that. I'll have to look it up. I'm always sure I'll put it in the show notes, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, that'll be good. We'll be down there training, so I'll get to hang out with Danny and uh, teach dogs fine shit and bite people, So, which is really all I do anyway. But, <laughs> so, yeah, we're looking forward to that. So you guys are uh, holding classes year-round, right? You're uh, 12 months out of the year. There's not a... You know, you got the weather for it up here. There's a lot of places that don't do shit in the winter. But so if a guy needs dogs, if they need dogs in December, you got classes possibly. All this is on your website. This yep. is all things you can look up. Yes. 
classes, seminars, decoy. Then we have uh, Ryan Morris comes down a couple times a year and does the, the uh, HME large hide uh, mm-hmm. seminar down here. Classes, so he's down here a couple a couple times. Um, we try to get rid of him because he's down here. He loves it down here, so he likes to stay. We got to tell him, hey, we can only put up with you for a week, so <laughs> you're only here for a week. Does he does he blow up some fun shit while he's there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I get calls from the neighbors saying, hey, this is a residential area. What are you guys doing down there? Yeah, yeah. Last time he couple of pictures on him. But yeah, he gets to do, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, you know, he, he gets to do some stuff where he blows up, and then the guys get the dogs, and they go out and do the post, you know, searching. So uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of good, yeah. Uh, are you guys still, uh, did you guys fill that position for the NPC trainer yet? We don't. We, uh, you know, we filled it. So we have another guy that came down from Indiana, uh, police officer. So uh, we filled that position. Actually, we filled a couple positions. So, uh, so right now we're uh, we're solid. You're stacked. All right. So the the next big seminar that you have, you're the one you were talking about your detection seminar. When is the next one? It's November the fourteenth. I think it's the fourteenth through the sixteenth, or fourteenth through the seventeenth. Um, so yeah, that, and that's, that's our 21st year. So we've been doing this. This will be our 21st year of doing it. So we kind of have it down pat. We get the guys a lot of work, a lot of training, uh, a lot of one-on-one and then, uh, and get them certified and, uh, have them down out of the, uh, out of, na- out of their neighborhood for a week or so. So they kind of, you know, intermingle with everybody because we got people from all over Sweden come, we have uh, Guam ends up coming over here. So the guys kind of see where they're at compared to what other people are doing and, and w- what they're doing, is it working? Or maybe we should kind of look at how things are going because it's certainly working for them over there. So they, they get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of hands on here. That's uh, explosives and narcotics. Correct. So the guys can guys that sign up for this in November, I've heard about this seminar for years. They say it's not one that you're going to come down and sit around and do nothing. Bring your dog and no, oh. right. So we have ten different scenarios set up every day, and we break them up. When there's a hundred and some teams, we break them up in groups of ten. So they're going to three or four different seminars or not seminars stations every day. So there's a lot of work for them. Not only handle a dog, but watching other people handle it, so they see where they're at compared to where other people are at. Right. That uh, so look. We've asked this from a few other people. Where do you see the canine industry heading? What, where are we? What does the future look like? Well, you know, back in the back in the day, I always say back in the day, back when we first started, or when I first started, you know, you were getting two and a half, three year old dogs. They were mature. They would come over. You could start putting pressure on them in a couple of weeks, bond with them for a week or two, and then start a little bit of pressure, whatnot. I'm seeing it now where guys are going to have to take a step back because the dogs are much younger, 11, 12, 13 months. Now, even I know you guys, even when you started, you had a dog that was, you were told back then that he's two and a half, they're always, they were always two and a half years old. You never got a dog younger than two and a half or older than two and a half. <laughs> right. You yeah. only got a dog who's always two and a half. Is that right? And they're always so born on Christmas. It could be a four and a half year old. <laughs> so they would have gray in their face and their teeth are all yellow, but that's a two and a half year old dog. He just, it's the food we've been feeding them. It's not good food. Well, now you're, you're, you're seeing the total opposite. Now you're seeing, the 10 month, 11 month, even some will sneak in at nine months and tell you, oh, he's 13 or 14 months old. So the training now is much different now than it was back then. Now you got to, you have a young immature and you got to spend some time. So you can't go in like you did years ago and put pressure on two or three weeks. You have to go step by step with these dogs. 
So that's that's the big change that I see over there. There's still a great you know a great amount of dogs over there, good dogs, but you're seeing them come in a little younger. If you see one now that's two two and a half years old, you got to ask yourself over and over again why is he still here? Because I go every six I go every six weeks eight weeks at the match. I didn't see that dog yet. How come I didn't see him? And and if I did see him, it was you know four or five months. Why didn't I buy him all the times I came over here? All of a sudden he's coming out. So that's what I see age wise, maturity wise in a dog. We have to step back a little bit and realize that these dogs aren't the two and a half and three year old mature dogs that we have to train a little different now than we did years ago. Yeah, and I'm noticing, you know, and you probably see it too, that the dogs, and mostly because of their age that we're getting them, they've seen a sleeve, I don't know, two or three times on videos, and that's it. And then they're shipping them out rather than getting dogs that, that uh, are at least got a nice solid foundation and bite work, you know. That right. I think now the term green is actually going back towards what's at, like true green dogs. There, I think it seems correct. And so we, right. So we see all that, but when the department's got here, green dog to them is hidden sleeves, suit work, you know, everything that we say, that's almost a fully trained dog now. That's not what you're getting. And when you go to Europe and you tell them, hey, I'm, I'm looking for some green, you know, uh, selection tested dogs. It's uh, the sleeve, toss the ball a little bit, that's, that's it. And when you start doing what I do, I start, I want to do this, I want to do that. I go, oh, it's more money. You want them, you yeah. want them to climb stairs, slippery floors, and you want them to bite, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's more money. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, so uh, where can we find you at? Uh, so it's southerncoastcanine.com, uh, correct? Correct. Yeah, the letter K, the number nine. So you can find um, me on the web. Right. Or Beheiser at southerncoastk9.com. All one word, and it's a K and a nine.com. Okay. And there's a full class schedule set up there. Uh, everybody's bio is there. Um, lots of info. I was just on it earlier to remind myself of what's going on. Um, but, yeah, uh, also on Facebook, I saw – I know you guys have that. You guys don't have an Instagram account. I don't remember if you do or not. I think we just started that. We do have one now. Uh, uh, I'm not uh, – if you do, Alicia will find it. That I can guarantee you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I see Danny doing some tracking online a lot. He uh, he likes to show tracking dogs. I've seen I've seen a bunch of him doing that. He uh, yeah he enjoys he enjoys the, the the patrol side of it, the tracking, the bite work. That's his little niche. Although he does a great job of detection, but yeah, we do a lot of uh, a lot of tracking with the dogs. Um, he likes to put those snake boots on and hit the woods and, and I, I, you know, you get out there and, and um, spend the day doing tracking. Yeah. Great. It's an old, what's the old saying? You can't, can't find him if you can't find him, right? Yeah, exactly. that's right. I, I like doing tracking. It's, it is, that's the only thing about being up north that's a little bit nicer is tracking on nice, cool mornings. Um, you know, and, and it, it just, it just is, that's fun, man. And you're not sweating to death at 8.30 in the morning, like down in South Florida, I'm sure, um, all, you know, most of the year round. But it's, uh, it's definitely different. you got to learn different ways to do different things. And, and uh, yeah, I like tracking. So that's, that's my rant there. Well, right on, Bill. It was a great having you on. I know that uh, you guys are busy down there. And um, – Everybody, check them out, southerncoastk9.com, uh, letter K, the number 9, or Heiser at southerncoastk9.com. Uh, the phone number is on the website as well, and Alicia will put it in the show notes. Uh, so, Bill, thanks again for coming on. It was great. 
Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you yeah. so much, Eric and Ted. Appreciate it. No problem right, at all. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yep, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.